before we could even take off our helmets, three little boys gathered around our machines. Where are you from? they asked. Canada. The boys' eyes grew wide. They stared at us and each other as if we'd said Mars. Is it cold in Canada? Yes, very cold. That's why we're here. Here it is always hot, they said. I know, I'm hot right now. I'm always hot. The boys gave each other strange looks and started laughing and pushing each other. In retrospect, that provided the first indication that my Spanish was seriously flawed. Later, much later, I'm afraid, I learned that every time I meant to say I am hot, I actually said I am horny. I told nearly everyone from Texas to Guatemala that I was horny, which explains why most conversations ended abruptly when the subject turned to weather. This is Jeremy Craker. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. And that was Jeremy Craker reading from his own book, Motorcycle Therapy, A Canadian Adventure in Central America. we got a good one coming up for you today. we got a little bit of coverage from the Ontario Horizons Unlimited Travelers Meeting. And then we're going to talk with Jeremy Craker about his books and his adventures. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. Well, it was a hot, sunny day for the Horizons Unlimited No, I'm kidding you. It wasn't hot and sunny. It was pouring rain. It was freezing cold. The wind was blowing. It was something to behold. But I'll tell you, there I am in Perry Sound, the the vacation destination for Southern Ontario, or at least one of. And uh, I picked the the lousiest weekend weather-wise that I could possibly find. But I'll tell you, that did not deter the people that were there, nor the numbers of them. When I pulled in, I could look around and I can just see tents sprawling all over the place. I see motorcycles everywhere. I see the Horizons Unlimited Travelers Meeting signs up. And the place was just a a hubbub of activity, dare I use that hubbub term. But it was. There was just loads of things going on. And and not long after arriving there, the whole thing started to roll. There was seminars going on. There was different people speaking about different things, everything to do with travel. There was food and coffee and all types of things. Just an absolutely fantastic time. The interesting thing with the way it's set up is that there's multiple seminars running at the same time, so you have to look through the list and decide what you want to go to first. And uh, you may miss out on one, but you might be able to pick up that one later on in the afternoon. And the first thing I went to was uh, Grant Johnson from Horizons Unlimited doing a tire change. Tire changing. There is also, in case you're not interested in tire changing, four steps overlanding going on downstairs. And while Grant is exploring the changing of a tire off the front of a KLR650, teaching some newbies how to do it and some experienced people how to do it better, downstairs, Susan Johnson is going through a demonstration on how to set up travel, how to get out there, how to get started. Are you crazy, right? You want to take a motorcycle and go to Mexico or South America or whatever, you'll die as soon as you leave the country. Everyone knows that. Someone was saying this morning, it's like, you're female, you can't possibly do that. Um, you can't go alone. Uh, you better cut your hair. So we're basically keen to have you feel like you're part of this global family. You're not alone out there. There's people all over the world who are friendly and welcoming and want to meet other travelers. And uh, you will 
they will find you, you will find them. And the other is this hardest bitten bike travelers in the world. It's this addiction to travel that we're holding. You know, everyone who's here is either here to teach about travel and motorcycles or to learn about traveling with motorcycles. And the whole atmosphere there is, I mean, if this is what you're into, that's the place you want to be. You just want to hang out. Wow, that's really neat. What's your name? Mike. Mike, Mike? Bell. Yeah. Where are you from? From Markham. My wife and I are up here. We got our F650GS BMWs and uh, set up for adventure touring, which we do a lot of. And, around North America and done a little bit of Mexico and Peru. Right. But those have been flyaway trips, so now we're just learning about shipping our bikes and getting... This, this is the perfect spot for this that. This is the perfect spot, yeah. Like, we want to ride our bikes in South America. We've done flyaway trips, but uh, shipping around to Darien Gap and and uh, how to do that, you know. Pros and cons. Of the, the guys are here, like, it's hardcore stuff. These guys are amazing. And they're very, very, uh, they're creative in uh, solutions. You know, nothing will stop these guys. They will find a way of getting something done. And, and it's a real pleasure to be riding well, with I'm them and just having breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, you know, right. three, four days in a row. It's really, you learn a lot. Now, the way I understand it, there was only one room with heat. And when I first walked into it, I was listening to Darren Baptiste, uh, the author of Going Toco, uh, talk about his trip from Toronto to Trinidad with his KLR 650, um, by the way, which never did make it back. So small. But from anywhere in Trinidad, to reach Toco, the road is small and windy and so on. So going Toco is the definition of going far in Trinidad. So my trip was going Toco. If you haven't been to one of these meetings before, one of the most valuable things you'll experience is the ability to talk with the presenters, to actually speak with them, to ask uh, questions. So uh, one of the current fads in cars is nitrogen. Yeah. Phil, does anyone do that on bikes? And totally waste of time on bikes, and it's totally a fad. Yeah. There is a reason for it. Nitrogen doesn't expand as much as yeah. air does. Um, in theory, your tire pressure stays more, con more constant. If you're a racer, I'm sure it makes a difference. For us, waste the time and waste the money. Okay. Um, and while we're thinking about it, CO2 cartridges. They are filled with CO2, not air. And CO2 is not good for your tires. So if you use a CO2 cartridge to inflate it, you are supposed to get to a gas station, let the CO2 out, and put air in it. <coughs> I didn't know that, but I found out. And they have roundtable discussions going on. I got to sit through a discussion on uh, lightweight packing, uh, which seemed to go all over the place for all kinds of information. People just generally ask questions and pass information around, and the table's open for everyone to talk. You do. I would always, always <laughs> buy a feather down sleeping bag. Because you can compact them. Yeah, you just got to be careful not to get them wet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah but, but now with the hydrophile and the, uh, the shelves, too, on the sleeping yeah. bag, they before, yeah. They compress. They compress no. down really well now. Like, you can get stuff into like that. Some interesting perspectives, too. There was a, another presentation. I think it was called Two Ways Down by Greg Powell and Bill Hukas. They talked about doing the same trip, but in totally different ways. One had taken the tour with a company, and the other one had went on his own. And it was interesting to hear the different perspectives of the pros and cons of, of each of those trips, and you know, sort of giving people an idea of what they can expect with either one, and the, the pitfalls, really. I mean, that's what we're always interested in, isn't it, is avoiding those. Traveling with a group versus solo. So it's really, it really comes down to your decision and, and your personal preferences. Um, 
I, you know, Bill and I, have been, we've done this presentation four times, we really feel that you, no matter whether you go on a group or on your own, you really do need to be self-sufficient. Um, a group of two or more is kind of ideal. Uh, you want the ability to be able to split off from that group, I think, uh, if, if possible. The dangers of traveling, I think, are greatly exaggerated. And from what I understand, you still have time to grab one of these shows to attend one. There's, um, uh, let me see, there's something going on in the in the UK from the 19th to the 22nd of September, the US and California, September 25th to 28th. And I'm just reading it off their website. And then, uh, of course, they've got it in down in Oz at Queensland, October 3rd to 6th, and Perth, October 10 to 12th, and Germany, October 23rd to 26th. And then it looks like back into Oz again, uh, into um, October 24th to 26th, and another one in Oz, uh, October 31st to November 2nd, then South Africa from uh, November 13th to 16th. So, you know, there's a lot going on still as far as HU events coming up, these uh, Horizons Unlimited Travelers meetings. And that was my experience with just my one-day visit to the Ontario Perry Sound Horizons Unlimited Travelers meeting for 2014. From here, we're going to buzz off to the west coast of Canada. Well, not completely to the west coast of Canada. We're going to get to the border of Alberta and British Columbia, where there's a small town called Canmore, which really holds a lot of interesting people, actually. And one of those people is Jeremy Craker, and he is a motorcycle rider, of course, an adventure rider, but he's also an author, has a couple of books out. Stick around. He's coming up next. You heard the excerpt from the audiobook Motorcycle Therapy at the start of this podcast, and that was read by Jeremy Craker, the author of the book. I tell you, if you haven't got this book, you got to pick it up. I mean, I'm going to go on about this, but it's funny. It's one of those rare books you pick up, and I mean, the first couple of pages, you're chuckling here and you're laughing there, and the, the humor is subtle. So we got Jeremy Craker, and uh, he was in Canmore. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I found out throughout the uh, interview when I was speaking with him that he had just uh, wiped out his his mountain bike only, I guess, uh, minutes before we caught him on the phone. But boy, he bounces back quick. And this is Jeremy Craker. Uh, I live in Canmore, Alberta, and I'm the author of a couple of books, um, Motorcycle Therapy and Through Dust and Darkness. Now, like most of us, Jeremy does all kinds of little trips, but his two big trips that he wrote about was one going to South America, which he produced Motorcycle Therapy, and the other one he went to the Middle East and wrote about that with his book, Dust Through Darkness. I would say there's two main ones. I uh, rode my motorcycle from Canada to Panama and back in 2003, and then in 2007, I did a, a seven-month adventure all throughout uh, Europe and the Middle East and then uh, coming back through North Africa. So I would say those are two of the big ones. And then, you know, every year I head down to uh, California with the motorcycle to go to the Horizons Unlimited meetings. I find Jeremy's books a little different, refreshingly different um, than the average travel book. Because of that, I had to ask him about his definition of adventure. You know, what is his perspective? How does he see it? Um, what do you define as adventure? And is adversity required? Is distance and time also required um, to have an adventure? Yeah, I think every time uh, you jump onto a motorcycle, it's an adventure. Um, a commute to work can be an adventure. I've done that in uh, snowstorms, for instance. And uh, you can't say that that was anything but an adventure. Um, so I would say that no, distance and time are not required. Probably a little bit of adversity is, though, uh, maybe a sense of danger. So if you're a, um, a new motorcyclist, like I say, anytime you jump on a bike, it's an adventure. It's a, it's a thrill. 
Um, so time and distance are, I would say, irrelevant. I, I rode over uh, Grey Creek Pass this summer with my KLR650 coming back from uh, the BC Horizons Unlimited meeting. And uh, that was an adventure. I was by myself and I had all the tools I needed to fix uh, flat tires and things like this. And uh, I was going into the unknown. And that was like a day trip. It was probably just 100 and some kilometers. But it was all gravel, all on the back back roads. So uh, it was exciting. Did you present at the uh, hub meeting? Yeah, uh, I've been presenting at uh, the cusp several years in a row now, and also the California one. So I do slideshows uh, of my travels through Central America and the Middle East primarily. We talked with Grant about the NACUS meeting. He said it was the biggest yet. He said it uh, was bigger than California. That's what he's saying. I was surprised to learn that it was the second biggest next to the uh, Hub UK meeting. And that one's massive, but NACUS is decent sized. I would say I was presenting to, you know, close to a couple hundred people. Uh, not everyone shows up to every presentation, obviously, but uh, it was a pretty, pretty full room. And California, I would say, is similar sized, but uh, Grant's telling me that it's you know, slightly smaller. And you'll find that out shortly because I saw your posting and, of course, commented on it uh, that you're about to do your 4,000-kilometer trip and, uh, on your motorcycle that you're out boosting right now. Yeah, well, that's the theory. Um, it's coming down to the wire, whether or not I can get this old Honda uh, running and then whether or not I can keep it running all the way to California. So currently it's in a garage and it's not starting, and I'm hoping it's just a battery, but it may be a starter motor issue, in which case uh, I'll have to do a little bit of last-minute scrambling for parts. Fingers crossed, I guess. But there again, that's an adventure. I'm not uh, taking a reliable motorcycle for some reason. But, I mean, the bike has some uh, some real meaning for me, and uh, so I want to I wanna use that machine. What is it? It's a Honda what? It's a 1982 Honda CB750 Custom. And I purchased it when I was 19 years old. Um, so I was just a young whippersnapper and uh, rode the bike kind of to the ground, but then I sold it to my dad and he kind of finished it off. <laughs> he rode it all over the States on big trips. And then, uh, you know, he eventually upgraded to a, to a newer bike and uh, parked this one under a tarp in Saskatchewan where it sat for seven years. So yeah, it required a lot of work. Jeremy, I want to ask about uh, Motorcycle Therapy, A Canadian Adventure in Central America. Your first book, um, when I read through, it's just funny stuff, man, from one page to another. I love the book. It was a great read. Very much enjoyed it. Tell us about Motorcycle Therapy. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, what do they say about humor? It's uh, pain plus time equals humor. So the book really had um, a sad element to begin with because it involves uh, two guys getting simultaneously dumped by their, their girlfriends. And uh, our solution was, me and my, my friend Trevor, was to purchase some motorcycles and just kind of run away. And we chose uh, Central America because it was easy, it was accessible. And uh, we just hopped on our bikes and, and pointed them south. But we didn't really have a solid relationship ourselves. I had known Trevor years ago, and we had sort of lost touch over the years. And then we were kind of thrown into this big adventure um, you know, and then the conflicts that exist between us are part of the book as well. So it's a bit of a learning experience. Uh, we learned a lot about ourselves, or at least I learned a lot about myself. And it wasn't always pretty, but uh, it was almost always funny. <laughs> I did find some, uh, you know, some things to laugh about, about myself. And uh, 
So that's basically the book in a nutshell. Two guys trying to trying to heal from broken relationships. And on top of that, it's a motorcycle journey, and uh, and you also talk about the journey itself. Yeah, so it's a travel log uh, on one hand. Uh, it talks about the countries that we went to and uh, how we got there and the adversity that we encountered, but also it's got a little stronger theme, I, I like to think. Um, it's not simply a we went here, we did this kind of book. And I think there's probably too many of those in existence already. Uh, the motorcycle genre tends to have a lot of that. And obviously it's an interesting element. And some people do have these grand adventures that need to be retold. But um, I was trying to fish for a stronger theme. And, and I think I got it with the help of my editor. <laughs> when I first uh, sent the book to her, I thought it was done. She just was going to tidy it up a little bit. But then she said, no, we have to find a stronger story here. And she was right. So I rewrote the thing. And um, it's a much, much better book for, for that. For the listener, I want to give an example right out of the book here. So on October 25th, now you left on this trip in 2003 in October. Yep. Yeah, so um, this October 25th I'm reading is from that first year of 2003. And um, I believe you've uh, you made your way into Mexico, I think, at this point uh, by October 25th. You're, st- you're talking about stopping at little family-operated stores or tiendas uh, splattered with the Coca-Cola or Pepsi signs, uh, and you'd rather stop at those than the, than the big uh, chain gas station stops. And it comes down to the bottom of the page, and it says that um, you've stopped at one of these little shops, and you've been invited inside, and they're selling you Coke from their refrigerator, and they've got their plastic chairs in the living room, and they're hooked up to an Xbox. And um, she welcomes you into her home, and the two little boys are sitting there, and they're staring at you, and you say that her, her two little boys shifted their gaze from us to our bikes. Why aren't you in school, I asked. It's Saturday, says the oldest boy. I see. Like to me, that was that was priceless when I read that. I thought that is just so fantastic. Nothing more needed to be said at that point, and you didn't. I mean, you know, you just you just went on, and I thought the subtlety is just fantastic. And I found this through the entire book. It it really is a a, a great oh, read. You. Yeah, it was it's good fun. And, and there's an entire trip behind this. You rode your KLR. That being your first really long trip, mm-hmm. how did you find coping uh, with riding on your motorcycle? and carrying all your gear and living basically off your bike? Well, it's a steep learning curve. Um, You know, every day getting up and and doing some maintenance on the bike, and I'm really mechanically challenged. So I say in uh, my second book, Through Dust and Darkness, uh, watching me tinker on a motorcycle is like watching a Charlie Chaplin film. It's a lot of slapstick comedy, uh, and I don't really accomplish a whole lot. But Trevor was more, much more mechanically inclined, and he kind of kept us rolling, to be honest. And, but yeah, when I first set out, I think this is a common experience for most motorcyclists. Uh, after a week on the road, or maybe, maybe even less than that, you realize how much unnecessary stuff you're carrying. And I've heard from almost everybody that they start jettisoning, jettisoning gear and equipment and things that they just don't need until it's down to the, to the bare bones and you get into a system and uh, everything that you need is with you and nothing that you don't. And that's when the trip becomes really efficient and much more enjoyable, I think. How long did it take you to reach that point? Well, we were still shipping stuff home, I think, at the Mexican border. Uh, I can't remember what we shipped home exactly, and then some things we just tossed out. I think, you know, tattered clothing and things like this we, we got rid of. And uh, the rest of it we put on to a Greyhound and, and shipped it home, I believe. I can't 
quite recall. It's been a long time. But yeah, it was probably four or five days of riding. And the same, and then the funny thing is the same thing happened to me when I was doing my second trip, the the basis for through dust and darkness. And uh, you'd think that I'd be experienced and I would only take the things that I need, but nope, there again, I was overloaded and my system was inefficient and took me a few days of riding to, to sort everything out. What sort of things do you find you're taking that you don't need ultimately? That's a good question. Um, the things that just make you more comfortable, like towels or um, sometimes you have too much electronic gear. So, you know, because I'm a writer, I tend to do all my journaling at night, so I need a computer, and with that comes a lot of bulk. But, uh, you know, you don't need a power cord, um, like, I mean, uh, a power bar or whatever. <laughs> I think I took that on my first trip and realized that was ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, just bulky things that don't belong. And if you can find, you know, anything that does two jobs, so you have a, a tarp that will serve as your tent, but it will also maybe serve as a working surface or, you know, um, a tool that you use for your whatever, something on a bike that will also work as a uh, side stand um, to prop your wheel up when you're, when you're working on the back tire or something like that. Anything that serves a du- uh, dual purpose is valuable. You live in Canmore, Alberta, and I know you're surrounded by mountains and people who are into, well, obviously skiing, and certainly um, hiking and and biking is very big there. Are you into that scene, and are you one of those type of people that will actually saw the handle off your toothbrush to uh, achieve a little weight gain? No, I'm not quite that extreme. I used to be uh, really into ice climbing and and, uh, a little bit of light mountaineering. Um, Now, basically, I get my kicks on a mountain bike. In fact, just before this interview, I crashed my mountain bike in the same spot that I always crash it. Um, the upside to that is I always walk away smelling like a juniper air freshener. So I do get out on the mountain bike quite, well, not quite a bit. I do get out on my mountain bike. And then in the winter, I spend a little time on cross-country skis. But uh, definitely, I'm not an extreme athlete like um, most people in Canmore tend to be. For instance, my roommate, uh, he is a an endurance mountain bike athlete and he's competing almost every weekend and he'll work and then he'll come home and he'll train and he is fit, like incredibly fit. So compared to him, uh, I call myself Canmore obese. I'm probably in way better shape than like the average 40 year old Canadian male. But in Canmore, I am just horribly out of shape. (laughs) It's a pretty high bar. Yeah, I notice when I go through there that you'll, I mean, even somebody pushing a, a baby carriage, you know, they won't be walking. They're going to be jogging, and it's pretty full on as far as activities go. Oh, yeah. Um, I, like when I was doing a lot of climbing, uh, I was climbing with um, my friend's wife. And when she was in her third trimester, we did a, a fairly difficult ice climb, and she followed me up this thing. And then the day she went into labor, several months later, we were on a moderately difficult rock climb. So she was rock climbing, rappelled down, we said our goodbyes, and then I found out later that she went into labor that wow. day. So pretty extreme people out here, and you know, and that's uh, <laughs> the high standard. When you headed out on your trip to South America and you ended up ultimately writing motorcycle therapy, did you head out with a, a book in mind at the end of it? No. Uh, that was the farthest thing from my mind. It was just a knee-jerk uh, reaction to a, a bad breakup. And I quit my job, bought a bike, like I said. It was all very last minute, very little planning. 
and uh, it was just a kind of a desperate attempt to break this cycle that I was in. So there was no thought of a book, but I was sending emails back. I don't think I had a website at that time, so I wasn't blogging, but uh, I would send emails every now and then to update family and friends on my whereabouts, and I put a little effort into them, and people said, well, that's pretty funny. You should write a book. <laughs> they said it very flippantly, and I thought, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. So when I got home, I thought, that'll be easy. I'll just kind of cobble together my emails, and and uh, boom, there's a book. But it was much more difficult than that, which I, I learned, um, and it took me two years to write the thing, even though it's a pretty thin book, actually. When you were prepping for your trip, or, or uh, let me back up, when you were planning to, to do a trip, were you planning to do a motorcycle trip or just a trip and the bike came into it afterwards? No, I definitely had uh, the motorcycle in mind right from the get-go. Um, it's been a long time since I had a bike. Like I used to ride, and then there was a gap, an inexplicable gap of maybe seven years uh, where I didn't have a motorcycle. So I kind of wanted to get back into it, and I realized that if I always thought that I would do something like this in the future, then it would never happen. It just had to, it had to happen now. That's how I felt. I just felt very compelled. And uh, like I say, a very knee jerk reaction with very little planning, but the motorcycle was always a key component. And what did you do for planning when you were uh, thinking of where you were going? Did you get into some detailed laying out of the trip and your route and your stops? I very much just winged it. Uh, In fact, when I called Trevor, we hadn't spoken in a long time, but I, I called him and I asked if he was interested in joining me on a motorcycle trip. And he said, well, where are you going? And I honestly didn't know. I said south. Uh, I said, I think I probably told him Panama, like just because that seemed like, a, you know, that's pretty far south. And that's the place where you have to get into logistics, right? You want to ship your bike over the Darien Gap, et cetera. So, but we didn't know. We were going to go as far as our money took us, which was very, uh, we had a very meager budget. I think we each had approximately $4,000, and uh, that was the extent of it. No, we we bought some maps, and on the way, we bought some guidebooks because we realized we were having difficulty finding accommodations. So I think we bought some Lonely Planet guidebooks in Mexico, and we had some maps that were not very detailed, and that was the extent of the planning. And at that point, were you going on any websites, logging on to ADV Rider or Horizons Unlimited or anything like that? No, in fact, I had not heard of those websites up until the point when I reached Guatemala. So once I was in Guatemala, I forget how it came up. I think Trevor found Horizons Unlimited. And then we you know, we created an account and logged in and realized, oh, there's lots of people doing this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of information out there. So we that's how ill-prepared we were. We hadn't even heard of these websites until we were well underway. And actually, this was at the, although we didn't know it, this was at the same time that uh, Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman were doing their long way round trip. So we were, you know, this was before the whole motorcycle travel adventure scene blew up. When we got back, we were all pumped, you know, we just rode to Panama. And then Ewan and Charlie are in the magazine saying, well, we just rode around the world. <laughs> so in a way, it was cool to kind of identify with those guys, but in a way, it was like, Oh man, they really took the wind out of our sails a little bit. 
There's something to be said for ignorance, though, isn't there? When you're you're planning to do something like that, and by not doing your due diligence, so so to speak, research in advance, you sort of uh, head out and in, into the unknown, and you have an adventure. You have you have incredible experiences, and you do things that maybe in hindsight that you would have researched and said, "Well, we we either can't do that or shouldn't do that." Um, isn't there something to be said for that? I think you're exactly right. In fact. One of the problems that I see other people getting themselves into is too much planning. So you can overplan these things and overprepare, and it can be daunting, right? Like you have to think about well, where am I going to get fuel and what kind of paperwork do I need and all that sort of thing. Most of those problems get sorted out on the road. Now, I've got a friend who just rode his motorcycle around the world himself, and he did a lot of planning, uh, and he had a great successful trip. <laughs> if I did that trip, I would probably just jump on my bike and go, and uh, maybe I wouldn't make it, but, uh, you know, there's two different ways of doing it, I guess. But some people get bogged down with too much planning, in my opinion. KLR650, was it a new bike? No, it was a 2001 KLR650, and this was in 2003. So the bike had been uh, ridden all over Alaska by its former owner. And, uh, yeah, I just bought it in Calgary, and uh, it was fantastic. Great bike. I got the KLR because of its large capacity fuel tank. <laughs> My uh, years ago, me and some friends discussed doing a similar trip to what we did in motorcycle therapy. This was probably in 1995, and these guys were saying, "Well, we have to use a KLR." So that, yeah, that was in 95 that they were saying that, and it just stuck with me. Hmm. So I didn't do any research into like other alternatives. I didn't look at BMWs or. Suzuki DR650 uh, or anything like that. I just went, hmm, in 1995, my friend suggested a KLR. So that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, just basically because it could hold a lot of gas. And there's, you know, after I bought it, I realized how simple they were. And, uh, you know, they say they were good at everything, but not great at anything. And uh, that's kind of what you want for, for an all-round bike, I think. I, lo- I love the machine. Aside from the sending home of gear that you found you're overpacking, what were some of the big things you learned as far as motorcycle touring when you were on this trip? I learned how important preventative maintenance is. So every day after we would uh, do a ride, we would take care of the bikes first, kind of like you know we're feeding our horses sort of, uh, take care of the chain and the air filters and regular maintenance like oil changes and things like this. And at some point, I think in Costa Rica, we, uh, we did the valves on the bikes that's a job that you could do yourself, but um, we were right next to a Kawasaki dealer and they were charging us almost nothing, so we let them do it. Um, but yeah, I think one of the things that I learned about motorcycle travel is, uh, and Rene Cormier, actually, he, he says this, he says, go slow and have fun. So you do not want to be in an accident in, uh, in some far fun location. So you may be a good fast rider and you may be able to push your limits, you know, in Canada or the U.S. or whatever. But when I'm traveling that motorcycle, it is just slow motion travel. It's not about banking in the corners, although, you know, that's fun. But I'm backing it off, I would say, at least 10 to 15 percent, at least of what, you know, I could do with that machine just to stay safe. When you went to the Middle East, um, you also rode a KLR or did you ride something else? Yeah, I rode a, another 2001 KLR650. It was a different machine than, than the one that I took to Panama, but it was the same make, model, and year. And that one was problematic. I knew the bike, so uh, that one was that one just gave me nothing but problems. But it's because uh, a former owner had probably 
we don't know for sure, but they had probably taken off the uh, odometer cable and it had way more miles on it than um, what it appeared to have. So there again, it was a last minute scramble to get this thing uh, roadworthy. And there were a few important things that were missed. Um, and they would have been caught and fixed very quickly and easily by a, a more competent mechanic. But uh, me, I just suffered with mechanical problems on that ride. <laughs> the engine never never skipped a beat, but uh, there was a wicked wobble in the front end. And that was, uh, turns out, when I got it home, that it was a very simple fix. But I thought it was a complex problem with the forks. And there again, just demonstrating my ignorance of mechanics. And there's also a source of humor in that book as well, my, uh, my fumbling with the bike. Tell us a bit about your trip through the Middle East that you wrote the book, Through Dust and Darkness, about. Yeah, it was 2007, and my goal was to make it into Iran. And the reason that I chose Iran was because uh, I was dealing with some kind of nagging doubts about uh, my upbringing. I was raised in a very fundamental Christian home, in a Mennonite home, and I was thinking about tossing the whole notion of God and religion aside, uh, but before I did that, for some reason, I felt compelled to go and look at it from an entirely new vantage point. So I chose Iran, and it's a nation that's ruled by God, they say. It's a theocracy. So uh, I thought, oh, that's a, a different context. So I was going to go and do a little exploration out there. So the book does have a bit of a spiritual theme to it. Um, at heart, it's a motorcycle travel book. It's maybe a little bit heavier subject matter than motorcycle therapy, but um, it's just a book that I kind of had to write when I came home. And you went on that trip by yourself? Yeah, that one was solo. I kind of learned my lessons from motorcycle therapy. Um, it's hard traveling with a partner sometimes unless you are extremely compatible. And it turns out that I've probably got compatibility issues with <laughs> with most people, so... Uh, it's not them that's the difficult travel partner, it's probably me. So I went solo and um, I, I would entertain going with another person again, but uh, for me, I think it's a solo adventure for the most part. When you went on Through Dust and Darkness, did you have a book in mind with that or was that again just a trip for the experience? No, that one I was pretty sure that I was going to write a book when I returned. Uh, I had learned a lot of lessons the hard way through with motorcycle therapy and I'd done a lot of writing since then for... Um, well, not a lot, but I'd done some writing for magazines and newspapers uh, in between those books, and I was going with the intention of researching uh, another second book. And when I got home, it turned out that the book was much more difficult to write than I anticipated because of all the, you know, I had to go back into my history and think about uh, the things that I believed about religion when I was 20 versus the things that I think about now. And uh, it, was, it was a difficult but valuable journey to write that book. In fact, there were several times when I abandoned it. And I think about, like, this one took me close to five years. And I think about three years into it, I decided there was no book. In fact, this is just a series of motorcycle articles. And I sold a few chapters to uh, motorcycle magazines. And I was telling people the book is not going to happen. And then, <clears throat> and then after a little hiatus, a little time away from it, I just had this nagging feeling like, nope, you have got to finish this. So uh, I was compelled to pick it up again and uh, and do the do the digging, I guess, do the hard work. And it took rewrite after rewrite. And uh, yeah, it was some difficult subject matter for me, to be honest. But I, you know, even with all that uh, that spiritual musing and and going back into 
you know, my psyche as a, as a young man and, and now, uh, there's still some humor in it. So there, there, there are parts I think that will make you laugh. And again, it's not a, not a preachy book. It's just my, my journey. You do a lot of sorting out life um, through your motorcycle adventure, um, as well as through your writing, I assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, helmet time is good and bad sometimes. Um, you know, dealing with some personal issues, actually at the moment, and um, you know, strapping up the helmet and just hitting the road uh, sometimes can be difficult because you can't escape your own thoughts. Um, I don't listen to music when I'm when I'm riding. I don't uh, have a Bluetooth or anything to take telephone calls. It's just me and hum of the engine, and it is really good sometimes. But if you get trapped into kind of a you know a darker cycle of thought, um, it can be a long, <laughs> challenging ride psychologically. And and that's why I'm kind of looking forward to this trip to California. But uh, I'm also nervous about how it's going to go psychologically. I might crack. I might show up in California and be a hollow shell of my former self. I don't know. That was a joke. <laughs> I mean, people tell me that at the at motorcycle shows all the time, like they'll see that I've got two books there. I go and I do the motorcycle show circuit. Um, not every year, but often in Canada. And people see me sitting there with my books and they assume that because I have two books, that this is my job. And and it's awesome. Like you've got the best job in the world. You just ride your motorcycles around and you probably have a lot of sponsors and you write about it and make a lot of money, but they don't see the struggle. And I think it's, I think that's good. I don't think they should see the struggle. It should appear kind of effortless, but, um, it is, it is tough to write a book and it is tough for me anyway. And I guess some people probably do it quite easily, but, um, yeah, it doesn't, seem to get any easier so smoke and mirrors just smile and uh and do your best and, and keep plugging right there's got to be a little bit of um tenacity involved and a little bit of stubbornness i guess and uh just keep putting one foot in front of the other when you're when you're writing it's people like you that take the time to do that that inspire the rest of us i mean it's great to have these things to read through and it certainly is inspirational there's there's no doubt i mean that's why people flock to books like this your your motorcycle therapy book i mean you you self published that and mm-hmm. and that was that's a that's a bestseller in canada isn't it it is a canadian bestseller yep yeah that's great and i think that through dust and darkness is is going to follow suit like my that one is uh, not self published that one through rocky mountain books and uh, Heritage Group is the distributor. Actually, Heritage Group is now the distributor for motorcycle therapy as well. But anyway, uh, Through Dust and Darkness is going into a second printing. Well, I should also say that motorcycle therapy is available as an audiobook, and that's pretty much brand new. You can buy that wherever audiobooks are sold, and I'm the narrator. And I am working, it's maybe a little bit too early to announce this, but I am working on a third book. Uh, it's going to be an anthology. So I'm actually collecting submissions from other motorcycle riders. Um, Sam Manicum is on board and Lois Price and um, a few other talented writers, Canadians as well. And I'm putting together a book. Hopefully it'll be out in uh, in about a year and a half. And that's called Motorcycle Messengers, so uh, tentatively. So look for that in the future. Nice. Wow, we got an exclusive there possibly. Yeah. I can give up my website uh, if people would like to contribute, if they feel like, you know, they've got a story that they would like to contribute for that book. Uh, I'm taking submissions and uh, you can contact me through my website, which is just motorcycletherapy.com.
I forgot to mention about the audiobook. It's really good. You can't always be a, an author and a speaker as well. Um, but you did a good job with that. Clearly professionally done as a studio. Yep, very much so. Uh, and I got I got to uh, give a huge shout out to Sam Manicum, uh at this point because he was the one who helped me get that book uh, onto shelves, so to speak, even though it's a digital thing, so onto virtual shelves. And he's, of course, the author of several motorcycle books himself, including uh, Into Africa, and uh, he's got audio books as well. So if you look if you look him up, he's a talented, uh, interesting, interesting fellow. Yeah, we've had Sam on the show before. Okay, yeah. And um, we actually even uh, yeah, played uh, part of one of his audiobooks. And, and he also did a, a reading in his own voice, which is really neat. For me as a listener, I really love the idea that I'm listening to the person who wrote the book. My publisher just recently, um, Rocky Mountain Books, just uh, agreed to give me the audio rights to that book. So they, they had them previously. I may do an audiobook for Through Dust and Darkness. Uh, we'll see. It, it's an expensive, difficult process. But um, it is fun, and it's a, it's a great creative outlet, so I may just do that. And Jeremy, for those who are interested in checking you out and seeing what you're doing and finding out more about your books, uh, where can they find you? So MotorcycleTherapy.com. And of course, we're going to have those links to Jeremy's website in the show notes, so you can check our website for the links to Jeremy or go to Jeremy directly. Um, definitely, if you haven't got the book already, get out there and get Motorcycle Therapy, A Canadian Adventure in Central America by Jamie Craker. Fantastic book. Then move on to his Dust Through Darkness. Um, and uh, boy, you're going to have some good reading on your hands. Get out there, buy that book. And you can find them anywhere. They're on uh, Kindle, the whole bit. You can um, basically take your format of choice and find his book. Thanks very much, Jeremy. Appreciate being on. Thank you. I've been speaking with Jeremy Craker, author of Motorcycle Therapy, A Canadian Adventure in Central America and Dust Through Darkness. And of course, we'll have links to Jeremy's website in the show notes, as we said. But um, you can also find his books um, anywhere online. Just search for his name or the book titles, and you'll find it in just about any format. I think you can get it in all ebook formats, which is fantastic for those of us who love to read on our mobile devices. Well, that wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. I'm Jim Martin. Hey, don't miss next week. We're going to have Simon Pavey. Yep, Simon Pavey, the guy famous on television with Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman. But on top of all that, he's running the Dakar again, and I bet you don't know how many times he's run the Dakar. There's a good question for you. If you think you know, send us an email. Drop us a line on the website, and maybe we'll work out some sort of prize for it or something if you can uh, figure out how many he's run, because you're not going to find it on the Internet. You're only going to find it here on Adventure Rider Radio. Now get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. Adventure Rider Radio is brought to you by Canoe West Media. Hi, it's Simon Pavey here calling to you from uh, sunny Wales and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 